Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. The title of our message today is a play on the title of the book, movie, and streaming series, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events. I know a little bit about Lemony Snicket stuff, but I know a lot more about King Ahab as we come to the end of 1 Kings. None of the kings of Israel, the northern king of the, na- the kingdom of the nation, were much of any good. However, King Ahab was especially atrocious. As we read a few weeks ago in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 30 and the second half of verse 33, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. What kicked off the evil was his marriage to Jezebel and how he allowed her to bring in the worship of Baal and Asherah. From then on, we see her killing the prophets of God, all under the authority of Ahab. When we get to the end of 1 Kings, we run into three stories that are kind of the icing on this crazy cake. Though I titled these Series of Unfortunate Events, they're all Ahab's fault. Let's pick it up here with the message, King Ahab's A Series of Unfortunate Events. Ahab does it all. Um, it's it, it, he's setting up his own unfortunate. Uh, un, I don't know what word I'm misfortune. I guess I have no idea. He's the one setting all of that up. It's it, it's all him because there's there's times when he's just not smart. There's times when he's weak, and I, it, there's just there's a lot there's a lot of problems. So. He's the one that's reacting oddly. He's the one that ignores God. He's the one that gives ear to the devil. This is something that every human being, friends, needs to learn and know, is that we will all be held responsible for our own sinful actions. And this is the case with Ahab. Ahab did his own sinful actions, and he's responsible for it all. Listen, every single one of us, we will be held for our own sinful actions, whether it's here on earth or unconfessed and we get to the judgment seat before God, when those things happen, when we get before God, when we get before Christ and what's known as the Bema seat judgment for those that, that follow Jesus Christ while here on earth that claim that salvation, we're going to be judged on our works. And guess what? You don't get to stand there and say, hey, but here's the problem, God. I had an idiot for a dad. I had an idiot for a mom. Or I had an absent dad. I had an absent mom. These kids that you gave me, my goodness, Lord, did you see them? They were horrible. I mean, it was that tough. You know, the the job that I had, I had terrible bosses. I had this. I had that. I was sick. I was disabled. I was dirt, 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 dirt. I did all of these things, blah, 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 and we try to throw the blame out there. It doesn't doesn't get to work that way. When it's all said and done, God is going to say, well, he might not even give you a chance to speak because, <laughs> well, he's God. And he's just going to say, listen, this is where you obeyed. This is where you didn't obey. And for those that follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior right now, you're either going to make it into heaven as one escaping the flames or you're going to be one that comes in with an armful of jewels because of all the obedience that you followed with Christ. And that's what the Bible tells us. We go through that fire of judgment and it all comes out refined, great, or it all burns up like kindling. And if we don't follow Jesus Christ, well, then you've got the great white throne judgment uh, at the end of the book of 
of Revelation there. And that one, if your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, which is which means you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If it's not in there, that's that's an eternity of living in a lake of fire and burning sulfur. Um, so today, let's let's look at these stories so that one you can definitely avoid <laughs> the lake of fire and burning sulfur for eternity. But more importantly, be able to get into that point where you're like, Lord, I just I want to be able to make it through that fire of judgment, knowing that I've been obedient to you and looking at these unfortunate events for Ahab and saying, you know what, I'm not going to follow that way. I'm going to follow the Lord. So Excuse me. Let's take a look at these stories. Now, like I said, there's three chapters here, and they're all kind of long. So what we're going to do is I'm going to just kind of paraphrase them, and hopefully you don't mind. It's, it's going to be kind of like story hour, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of go through the stories and pick out some of the, the more important verses, quote-unquote important, some of the verses that, that really matter that you're going to want to pay attention to and listen to. So, unfortunate event number one is a war with Syria in 1 Kings chapter 20. There's a war with Syria. Now, Syria, just for your geography here, uh, you've got Israel, which is the northern kingdom. Uh, you, you, as we all, hopefully, you remember, uh, the nation of Israel is broken into two kingdoms. Northern kingdom is Israel. Southern kingdom is Judah. Syria is to the north of Israel. So you got Syria, and then to the north of them and to the east is Assyria, which is not the same nation. Assyria, which is getting more and more powerful, more and more strong, and, and they're, they're, they're really whooping up people, you know, taking names and kind of starting to rule uh, the, the known world at the time. And so Syria's sitting here in the middle. They've got, again, they've got Assyria to the north and to the east, them to the south, they've got Israel, and then to the, to the west, their west coast is the Mediterranean Sea. So their king, Ben-Hadad, says, you know what, I can't overtake Assyria. They're too strong. I'm pretty sure, though, I can take over Israel. Ahab's kind of a wimp. I think I can do that. So in the story in 1 Kings chapter 20, Ben-Hadad pretty much comes out and says, listen, I want to take all your stuff to Ahab. <laughs> and Ahab says, well, I guess you can have it. But then Ben-Hadad says, no, you don't get it. I'm taking all of your stuff. And so Ahab goes to his elders, and the elders say, yeah, that, that, that's not going to happen. You tell him that that can't happen. So Ahab tells him, listen, this isn't going to happen. And by now, uh, Ben-Hadad is in like this drunken stupor. He's been partying with his, his fellow potentates here, and he's like, no, 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 no. This is going to happen. The war is on. We're, we are, we are, we are going to do this. He kind of gives him a little verbal jab, and Ben-Hadad says, oh, it is on like Donkey Kong. Here we go. We are going to go and fight this war, and the war is on. However, there is a prophecy for Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 20, verses 13 through 14. It says this, And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hands this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, by whom? He said, thus says the Lord, by the servants of the governors of the district. Then he said, who shall begin the battle? Prophet answers, you. And we'll stop right there. Listen, Ahab, I mean, he's, dude is such a pansy. I mean, if you haven't picked it up yet, this dude is, he's goofy, man. It's like, who's going to lead this, this army? Uh, you. 
King Ahab. This is how it works in whatever year this is BC. You know, this is this is how we do this. You're the king. You're going to lead them into what are you even asking for? So we're getting an understanding. You should be getting a sense of who is this guy if you haven't yet. And it should be this guy is a dope. My goodness, he's he's not very smart. He's he's weak. He's the king. You know, who else is going to lead this army of Ahab, of Israel? So Ahab musters an army of a little over seven thousand, uh, but they're still pretty well outnumbered by Ben. Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad has 32 other potentates with each of their own armies. In short, Israel wins the war with Syria retreating. However, the prophet tells Ahab to head back and rest up because Ben-Hadad and his people are going to come back in the spring and fight again. So you got a tiny army and they, they, just, they just push Syria and these other people out of here and they're like, no, we're not gonna, you're not going to win. We're, we're going we're gonna to take you out and so they leave. So the prophet tells them, listen, you got to get back and rest up because they're coming back in spring and we can see why they're coming back in spring in first kings chapter 20 verse 23 and the servants of the king of syria said to him their gods are gods of the hills and so they were stronger than we but let us fight against them in the plain and surely we shall be stronger than they. So the idea for the people in Syria is, listen, their God is really strong on the mountain. And this goes all the way back, goes all the way back to, what do you think it goes all the way back to? Moses and Mount Sinai, right? So God meets with Moses at Mount Sinai, and people know that story. People know who that is. And so that, that, that's kind of in their history. They're like, you know, their God meets them on the mountain, so they're really strong on the mountain. Also, one of the names for God is El Shaddai, and I'm sure most of you have heard that, uh, especially if you were a big fan of Amy Grant back in the mid-'80s. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El I don't know Hebrew. Anyways, um... You can listen to it. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. It's all grainy, I'm sure, and you can watch it there. But um, El Shaddai is actually a really hard name to kind of uh, to translate because Shaddai can mean a couple of different things. Now, we translate it modernly. We just call it, you know, figuratively, it's, it's God Almighty. It's easier to say that. But when you want to translate it literally, you've got El at the beginning, El, which is simple, that always means God. It's God, L. God, and then Shaddai is where it gets kind of goofy. They're like, it can mean a couple of different things. It can mean destroyer, but it can also mean mountain. So, so if you were to translate it literally, it would mean God of the mountain. So when, when the Hebrews would say El Shaddai and they would worship El Shaddai, that's where these people get the idea. Well, their God is the God of the mountains. We shouldn't have even headed to the mountains. We should have been out here in the plains. So they tell Ben-Hadad, okay, this is how it's going to work. We need to bring them to the plains. So we're going to take this war from Aspen and we're going to stick it in Kansas because this is going to be way easier to beat them in Kansas because because everybody knows the only thing in Kansas is wheat. So we should be good to go. So everybody, we're going to fight down there, and, and we're going to make this all happen. But we all know, and Israel knows, that our God is the God of everything, right? God is the God of everything. So once again, Ben-Hadad comes out with an even larger army, and Israel has its, its tiny army, its, its, its little army, its cute little army. <laughs> In fact, in verse 27, it says, it looks like two tiny flocks of goats sitting in front of Ben-Hadad's massive army, all these people. So you've got this cute little army against this massive army. But once again, a prophecy for Ahab in verse 28. 
Verse 28, and a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. You're going to win it, pal. It's, you're going to have to work for it, but listen, you're going to win this. That's a massive army you got there, but your tiny, cute little army it's going to work. It's, it's going to happen because you've got more than a tiny, cute little God. You've got God Almighty. You've got El Shaddai. He's coming for you. So the war begins, and Israel is whooping up on them. They are just, they're, they're taking them by storm, just like, just like the Lord said they would. They get all the way to the point where they corner Ben-Hadad, the king of, of Syria. They corner him in the city of Aphek. Um, Ben-Hadad's people say, let's dress up as though we look like slaves to see if we can go talk to King Ahab and see if he'll be merciful to you because that's usually how these kings of Israel work. They, they kind of like the mercy route. So let's, let's go and see if, if Ahab will be merciful to you. So they approach Ahab and say that Ben-Hadad requests that he lives. Hey, what's up, Ahab? We're just wondering if you'll let Ben-Hadad live. We're just wondering if you will let the king of Syria live, though you've got him cornered. Now check out Ahab's response in the second part of verse 32. Uh, actually, the top of 32. So they tied sackcloth around their waist and put ropes on their heads and went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Does he still live? Like, Ahab's like excited. Does he still live? Well, he's my brother. Now, he's not his brother. <laughs> Ahab and Ben-Hadad are not brothers. Uh, just to give you a heads up, Ben-Hadad means son of Hadad. Ahab's dad, if you remember, was Omri. So they're not related at all. He's my brother. I like this guy. My, my major enemy right now, oh, I, I like that guy. He's, 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 he's my brother. Verse 33, now the men were watching for a sign, and they quickly took it up from him and said, yes, your brother, Ben-Hadad. Then he said, go and bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. So this is going to get good, right? Maybe, maybe Ahab's going to shove a sword in his gut or something as he brings him up to the chariot. Let's, let's see what happens. And Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities that my father took from your father, I will restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. In short, friends, Ahab is a moron. Ahab is very, very, very dumb. This is absolutely baffling. Nobody, as as you as if you if you study like biblical scholars, if you were to give this to like a, a president or a king, and you read this story, they would they would be absolutely baffled. Nobody understands. And, and can give a good reason as to why Ahab would do this. Why Ahab would take his mortal enemy and say, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to let you go. Remember when King Saul, when, when the Lord said, hey, you're not, you're not going to be king anymore. Why did he do that? So Saul was ordered to kill all the Amalekites. I want you to wipe out the entire nation of, of Amalek. You take out you know, men, women, child, we can talk about that some other day like we did back then. But man, women, child, animals, everybody gone. You got to wipe them off the face of this earth. I don't want to see them at all. And then when the battle's over, what happens? Samuel comes up to Saul and says, I hear some sheep. What's up with the sheep? 
well, I was going to offer them as a sacrifice to God. But you were supposed to kill it all. Well, I will. It'll just be a little bit later than, than what God said. And what's up that I hear that the king is still in your power, is still in your possession? Yeah, I'm going to make him a slave. Nope, you're supposed to kill them all. This is how this is supposed to work. And what ends up happening to Saul? Uh, God says, you're not going to be king in my eyes. You're going to still rule in the nation. You're still going to, you know, the people are going to think you're king. But I'm not with you anymore. I'm not, I'm not your, your, your prime supporter here. You're, you're, in, you're going to be in a world of hurt because you decided to disobey me. So Saul, when he takes the king of the Amalekites and makes him a slave, that's what God does to him for for doing that. What in the world is God going to do to King Ahab for simply letting a guy go that he knew he was supposed to kill? He knew he was supposed to destroy them. He's the king. He understands this. When he gets the prophecy, you're going to win this. He needs to understand, I'm supposed to take out the king and everybody that's here. This is, this is what I am supposed, supposed to do. So, the punishment for, small, for Saul was, was no longer being king in, in God's eyes. Imagine what Ahab's punishment will be. So remember when God sent Nathan to David after his sin with Bathsheba? Uh, he sends Nathan to him, and he gives him this cute little story about a guy with a sheep and a guy with a lot of sheep. If you guys don't remember that and you remember Veggie Tales, it was rubber duckies, okay? So get rid of the sheep, rubber duckies, whatever you want to do. So he comes up and he says, hey, this guy had one sheep, and the guy with a lot of sheep took the one sheep and, and all this stuff. And David gets into this rage, and he's just ticked off. He's like, I can't believe someone would do that. You should kill that guy. We got to take him. We got to lop his head off and then give all his sheep to the guy who only had one sheep. And what does Nathan do? The story is you, dude. You have all these wives. And then you decided to take this guy's wife and then kill him when she got pregnant. This is not how it's supposed to be. So God gives him a little illustration to David. And guess what? He does the same thing here with the prophet for, for Ahab to find out what's going on. It's a, it's a pretty crazy story. If you've got time, I, I suggest you read it. This prophet comes up to one guy and says, hey, punch me in the face. He says, no, I'm not going to punch you in the face. And he says, listen, and you're going to die because you didn't listen to the order of the Lord. And the, a, a she-bear comes out, is what the Bible says, and, and mauls the guy to death. Comes up to another guy, hey, punch me in the face. And the guy's like, sweet, I'll punch you in the face. Not only does he punch him in the face, he absolutely pummels the prophet. And just... And so the guy is just beat up and bloody and bruised all over his face that he has to cover his face. And he covers his face because he knows Ahab knows him. And he comes up and he's like, hey, listen, um, I was supposed to, he's talking to Ahab along a route, and he's like, hey, listen, I was supposed to watch this guy. I was supposed to guard this guy. And if the guy got away, I was either supposed to die or pay a ransom for the guy. Well, the guy got away. And Ahab looks at the, the prophet, who he doesn't know is a prophet, but some beat-up guard, and says, well, it looks like, looks like your judgment's on you, because I know you're coming to me for money, and I ain't giving you any money. So it sounds like uh, you're about to die. As soon as he says that, the guy pulls off the bandages from his face. Ahab is shocked. Verse 42, and he said to him, the prophet says to Ahab, thus says the Lord, because you have let go out of your hand, the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. The king of Israel went to his house, vexed and sullen, and came excuse me, to Samaria. So what's the prophecy there? You're going to die. 
your life for his life. You don't want to do this the right way, you're going to die. For King Saul, it was just simply uh, taking the kingdom out of your hands. Um, I'm not, that, that's the, this isn't how it works. Because he actually kept the, the king at least as a slave. This time, he doesn't do anything, just lets him go. Now listen, friends, a prophecy of a person dying means their life is being cut short and it's probably going to happen soon. So just think about it this way. If you think that's not that bad of a, a punishment, think about it this way. King Ahab had this many years to live, okay? You got this many years to live. Oh, you want to disobey me? Okay, now you're going to have this many years. <laughs> that's how it's going to work. You've now shortened the life. You're going to have a premature death. It was going to be that down here at this time, but you decided to disobey me and let that king go. So now we've, we've shortened your life. Now, the thing with Ahab is he doesn't know the number. He doesn't know how many years he's got left, so he might want to use them wisely. It says that Ahab heads back to his capital. He's vexed. Why is he vexed, friends? Because he doesn't understand God. He's too far from God. He receives two prophecies concerning these battles and still doesn't understand God, and he looks like a fool. Does he not? He looks like an absolute moron, as I said earlier. And not just to the nation, but the entire world until the end of time. Why? Well, we just read it. It's in the Bible. So it's, it's stuck in there for history. Everybody for all time will know that Ahab was this dunce that didn't know how to obey God. It hurt the nation and it hurt himself because he didn't want to obey God. Now listen, friends, it may not be as drastic for us if we choose to leave God to do our own thing, but we need to understand that based on this story, we will look like fools too, so, too for quickly turning from God to go our own way. I know God is leading me this way, but I want to do it this way because I think it's easier and, and, and I understand it to be this way. Proverbs 1, seven, friend says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You need to be obedient to God. You need to understand this is where the Lord is calling me, but I'm going to do it this way. You're a fool. If you want to follow the Lord, there's wisdom. There is a wise person. There is a person that has built his house on a solid foundation. That is the person that does that. The person that wants to go their own way and thinks they know what they're doing, thinks that they understand what God would want better than God himself, there is your fool, friends. So in this first event, Ahab will receive a premature death. The next unfortunate event will show us to what extent God will bring death to Ahab. So unfortunate event number two, most of you, uh, well, I won't say most of you, but maybe some of you have heard of this story before, and it's called Naboth's Vineyard in 1 Kings chapter 21. Sometime after the wars with Syria, Ahab is on his palatial estate in the Jezreel Valley and notices a vineyard right next to his palace that he would really really like to have for his own garden. That's a really nice vineyard. I want it for my garden. So he goes to the owner, Naboth, and offers him another better vineyard to trade, or he'll buy it for full value. I'll give you the exact amount of, of, of how much this is worth. Maybe I'll even throw in a couple cents more so that you will give me your vineyard. Naboth will have nothing of the sort as this vineyard is his inheritance for him to keep forever and ever and ever and to pass down to his family forever. Forever. Ahab has no right to it and he doesn't want to trade for government land, right? Who really wants to trade with the government? Nobody wants to do that. We've known that for, since the beginning when governments were established. I don't want to deal with the government. I've got my land. It's not my fault that you decided to move in here after I did. This is my land 
Don't touch it. And by the way, if you give me another vineyard, who cares? I'm probably going to have to travel to get it because I live on this vineyard. So no, I don't want anything with it. I don't want it. Well, Ahab, man, he's bummed. He's like, man, I really wanted that vineyard. Really wanted the vineyard. Heads back to his palace. Stupid Naboth. What a vineyard. So much better. Looks at the dinner table. I'm not going to eat. Heads up to his bedroom. Sits down on his bed. It would be about this high, but I'm not going to jump on the piano. <laughs> I think I'm supposed to stay in between the wreaths. Sorry. I'm not. I can't have that vineyard. Well, guess who notices that Ahab's all sad? Jezebel comes up. Oh, what's wrong, Ahab? I can't have Naboth's vineyard. <laughs> well, she's been married to him little while now might be a little bit annoyed aren't you the king can't you just take it you know eminent domain haven't you heard of this yet i mean i'm jezebel i know what i'm talking about and he said well he he wouldn't let me have it it's his inheritance blah 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 the law says i can't have it jezebel says well you just wait i will get you naboth's fingers because you know what what my ahab wants my ahab gets so Jezebel is what? Evil. So she devises a real nice evil plan, kind of like the Grinch. Nice evil plan to, to happen. And what she decides to do is she's, we're going to call a fast throughout the land, and I'm going to forge my husband's signature on a bunch of letters. We're going to send it throughout the land. And we're going to tell everybody, hey, come to, this, come to the palace for a fast, and uh, Naboth is going to be our man of honor. He's going to lead us in prayer or, or something. He's going to head it all up, and Naboth is going to be sitting at the, the main spot of the table. So, so we're going to have this, this little fast thing happening, and then I'm going to get two worthless men is what the Bible calls them, two scoundrels two scallywags, whatever you want to call them, rapscallions, for you VeggieTale fans there. Have you ever noticed when they use rapscallions, they actually have scallions that are walking around? Anyways, I'm going to get two worthless men. And what's going to happen is you're just going to sit there and you're going to be chatting it up with Naboth, and then one of you is just going to jump up and say, this guy cursed the God and cursed God and the king. And then everybody's going to hear it. They're all going to get ticked off, and guess what they're going to have to do according to the law? They're going to have to stone him. You have to kill him. And then bada bing, bada boom, Naboth's vineyard is Ahab's. It's, isn't it funny, just as a side note, Jezebel, the most evil person in the world, is like, you know what, I could care less about your God, but for this particular story, I'm going to follow your laws and do this. So they decide to pull off the plan, and the plan works. The, the, the plan is successful. It happens. Um, they, get Na- they get Naboth to, to do that. And they, uh, they get Naboth to, to, well, they don't get Naboth to confess. He doesn't do that. The, the, the two scoundrels shout, hey, this guy cursed God and the king. The people get ticked off. And they go out and, and they, they take him outside of the city and they stone him to death. And then they, 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 they dispose of his body. It's, it's terrible. It's absolutely horrible. So they su- successfully pull off the plan. Well, it's time again, it's, it's King Ahab, so it's time again for another prophet to visit Ahab because though Ahab wasn't a part of the plan, he knew what was going on and did nothing to stop it. He knew what he was doing. When he talked to Jezebel, he knew what he was doing. He understood what was going on. So another prophet comes back into the picture, and who is this awesome prophet? 
Elijah. Elijah has come back. Now, based on what we discussed last week, it seems like a good choice, right? He's into the wrath of God. <laughs> Let's see what he wants to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm all into the wrath of God. You know, we talked about that last week. Let's see what happens here. So in all seriousness, though, there must have been some form of repentant act uh, that would allow God to use him as the messenger to Ahab at this time. Or maybe, just maybe, God has another lesson for Elijah to, to learn still here. So Ahab runs into to Elijah. Look at chapter 21, verse 19 with me. Chapter 21, verse 19. Uh, uh, God, God talking to Ahab first here. Verse 19, and you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up, and I will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for, whom, uh, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat, and anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of heaven shall eat. Now listen, friends, this is an absolute slap in the face to a king and the customs of the time. This is an improper burial. Uh, technically, there's no burial because remember, they killed Naboth outside of the city limits. They stoned him to death. This is the prophecy that God has given. You're going to die outside of the city and they're just going to dispose of the body however they want to. And then the dogs are going to lap up your blood. There's, there's a lot to that. Uh, the idea of, of a dog um, licking up your blood, your, you know, the life that's within you. Um, just goes to show how worthless you are. And so the, the idea of that, that's, that's, that's what's going on with there. So it's a lot of disrespect uh, for Ahab, for what's going on. For Jezebel, it's actually worse. She will actually be eaten by dogs, uh, turning her into what? Dog excrement at some point that will be released on Naboth's vineyard. Later, we'll, we'll see that story some other time. Then God gives the curse upon the rest of Ahab's descendants, just like Basha. Those that die in the city are eaten by dogs. Those in the country will be eaten by birds. Ahab is completely beside himself hearing this, and he humbles himself. He tears his clothes and says, Lord, I'm really sorry. I can't believe that I did it because, well, I'm a bad guy, but, but I'm... I apologize, I repent, I'm so sorry. Understand, this is Ahab, though, so it's a little bit shallow. You know, it's more like he feels bad. Why? Because he got caught. I got caught, so, so now I feel bad. So he does humble himself, and even though it is shallow, God still honors the repentant heart. Look at what he says to Elijah, not Ahab, but what he says to Elijah in, verse, uh, in verses 28 and 29. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But it is in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. 
Listen, friends, we serve a merciful God. Verses 25 and 26 reiterated how bad Ahab was. And God still honored even the shallowest forms of humility. Ahab knew what was going on and could have just kept his mouth shut about his disappointment. He didn't need to talk to, uh, to Jezebel. Nobody else needed to know. But Ahab was selfish. He knew exactly what he was doing when he talked to Jezebel. Friends, we cannot trick God by playing the fool. He knows our hearts. He knows our intentions. If they are inclined to evil, friends, there will be a price to pay. Do yourself a favor and go to God and ask him to change your thoughts, change your mind, and concentrate more on the things of God. Things about the th- Think about the things that are lovely, things that are noble. That is what the Bible tells us to do. Think about those things. Friends, if you have disappointments in your life, take it to God. Say, God, I'm going to give this to you. If if for some reason that's not the case, listen, friends, you're going to want to find people that are going to point you to God. Whether it's sitting here in church and saying, man, I'm going through some difficulties. I thought this was going to happen, but this didn't. Find the people that will point you to God. Don't go to the Jezebels in your life. Don't go to the people that are going to steer steer you away from God and say, you know what? You should go in there and take revenge. You should go in there and really punch that dude in the nose for whatever, for him taking your job or for whatever it is. No, friends, you need to concentrate and go after the Lord and go after those that would point you to the Lord. If not, friends, you could be in a world of hurt. So far, the events have shown us that Ahab will what? He will die prematurely, and it won't be completely honorable, but it will go even worse for his descendants. So... God comes back and he relents on, on a lot of it. We're going to see how this will work in a second here. But, but he's like, listen, everything that I said, all the destruction and stuff that's going to happen, it's going to happen to his son and his kids. I will, I will put it off a little bit simply because he showed some kind of humility in what was going on. Friends, understand that the Lord is a merciful God, even all the way back in the Old Testament, and will gladly forgive sins if we would humble ourselves and go after him. So he's going to die prematurely. It's not going to be exactly honorable, but it's going to be worse for his descendants. So the last event for the day is Ahab's death. Unfortunate event number three is what I like to call the disliked prophet in 1 Kings chapter 22. Now, by this time, we're in the northern kingdom of Israel here. Ahab is is the king of Israel. To the south is Judah. Asa has passed away. Jehoshaphat uh, is now king. He's a good king. He's a righteous king. And he comes up to Ahab, who are actually friends. Um, His son married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. So there's some kind of connection there. For some reason, Jehoshaphat wanted that to happen. And he goes up to Ahab and says, hey, listen, we've got Ramoth Gilead on the other side of the Jordan here that used to belong to Gad. What do you say we go and we get Ramoth Gilead, Ramoth Gilead back. What, what, what do you think about that? Now, listen, it's, it's, it's mainly an economic thing, okay? Ramoth Gilead is on a major trade route, and it used to be owned by Israel the, when the nation was combined. So he's like, let's go over there and take it from Syria. Now, Ahab has, does have something to think about here because he's actually had peace with Syria ever since he released Ben-Hadad. He's had peace with Syria for a few years now, but Ahab's 
kind of goofy, and he's like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's, let's do that. So Jehoshaphat, like he normally does, and we'll see this in, in a few weeks here, Jehoshaphat always liked to inquire of the Lord before he did anything. Let's find out if, if God actually wants us to do this. Let's see first if, if we're going to get a victory. Let's see what's going to happen. Let's, let's talk to God. So he looks at Ahab and says, you got any prophets here? And Ahab's like, yeah, sure, let me grab a bunch of them. And he grabs 400 prophets. Now listen, these prophets are not the prophets of Baal and Asherah that we had read from before. These are prophets that worship God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that, that, that worship him. However, they're not really prophets. They don't really hear from God. What they're more concerned about is Jezebel kills prophets, so we better make sure that everything we say to Ahab is good so that she doesn't kill us. So pretty much what these prophets would normally do is what? Say what Ahab's itching ears want to hear. Let me scratch those itching ears for you. Let me make you feel good, Ahab. This is what it is. So he brings forward these 400 prophets, and they're all, yeah, you should go in remote Gilead. You're totally going to win. It's going to be awesome. And uh, Jehoshaphat hears it, and he looks at Ahab and senses that something's not right. He's like, do you got any other, like, old-school prophets? You got some OGs back there that, that, like, know what they're talking about when it comes to prophecy. Like, people that actually talk to God. And Ahab's like, yeah, I got one guy. His name is Micaiah. But I hate that dude. He's an idiot. All he ever prophesies is evil on me. Every time he says something, it's bad. It's always bad. I don't like the dude. I don't want anything to do with him. Jehoshaphat stops him right there and says, listen, that is not how the king of God's people should be speaking about God's people. Ahab's like, fine. After that rebuke, he's like, one of you guys go get, go get Micaiah. Bring him over here so we can hear what he has to say. So it takes a little while for that guy to get Micaiah. And so Ahab and Jehoshaphat, they sit down, and these 400 prophets keep coming up, and they're bringing up stories from uh, you know Genesis and Exodus and stuff. And they're like, hey, check this out. There's these two horns. We're going to tie them in chains. This is how it's going to be when, when you go into remote Gilead. You're going to tie all these people up in chains. You're totally going to win. And they're just doing their little song and dance. There's 400 of these guys just talking, and woo, look at this. You're going to be awesome. We're going to win, all this stuff. And so they're doing all this stuff as, as Jehoshaphat and Ahab look on. And, and, and then the story tells us that, that the servant that went to go get Micaiah, they, they, they start kind of coming over the hill there, and, and they can see him. And, and the servant looks at Micaiah and says, hey, listen, okay, listen here. All these prophets are telling Ahab to go and fight the battle. Do yourself and everybody else a favor and say the same thing. Do, just say the same thing. Help us all. Let's get this day over with and, and, and get, this, get this done. And so when he asked Micaiah to do that, Micaiah says very powerfully in 1 Kings 22, verse 14, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Servant's probably like, fine, let's go. Let's go see Ahab and Jehoshaphat. This is going to be a crummy day. He's hoping to get back home, eat dinner with the family. Probably won't. So he gets before Ahab and Jehoshaphat. They ask what they should do. Should we go and fight in Ramoth Gilead? Now, if, if you've got the New Living Translation, that says, he says it sarcastically. Some of, some of the translations don't say that. But Micaiah looks at him and says, Oh, yeah, do it. Go fight in Ramoth Gilead. It's going to be awesome. You're going to win. It's, it's going to be great. Go and do it. As soon as he's done saying it, Ahab looks at him. What have 
I told you about talking the truth when I asked you to speak on behalf of the Lord. <laughs> you need to tell me the truth. Remember, he was all ticked off because all he ever does is speak evil. So he gets it. He's like, no, you're being sarcastic. You're being dumb because I know there has to be something evil coming out of your mouth. He's like, oh, yeah, go fight. And so, and so uh, Micaiah says, fine. This is, this is what's going to happen. This is the vision that I saw. 1 Kings 22, 17 says this. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. In other words, yeah, you can go fight this war if you want to. But listen, Ahab is going to die in this war. Ahab's going to die. What does Ahab do? <laughs> Looks at Jehoshaphat. See, I told you, this guy is worthless. This guy's a bag of garbage. He told me something evil again. Why did we have him come here? I could have told you what he said. No, this is not how this is supposed to work. So, so as, as he's kind of fighting with Jehoshaphat, like, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe we wasted our time listening to this guy. At this time, Micaiah brings up another vision, a really intriguing vision. Again, something that you can read on your own at some point. But there's a vision of God in heaven, almost like a CEO, you could say. You know, he's sitting here, and it's like he's in a boardroom, and he's got all the host of heaven. He's got angels. He's got spirits. They're all standing before him. And he says to the group of them, he says, who will go down? down and lead, um, who will go down and lead uh, Ahab into Ramoth Gilead? Because God's plan was, it is going to be in this battle that I'm going to take his life. This is where his days will end, as I had prophesied. Who will be willing to go down there and do it? A couple of the spirits speak up, but then one says, I will go and do it. And God asked the spirit, well, how are you going to do that? He's like, I am going to put a lie into the prophets of Ahab to tell him to go into battle. That's an interesting story. There's, there's kind of a lot there because God is not like a man like you and I where he has to actually convene with people. It's, it's an interesting story there, but, but we'll, we won't be able to dig much into it today. I've already taken up a lot of your time. So... God says, okay, go ahead and do that. Go ahead, you go down there, and you put a lie into the mouths of those 400 prophets. Well, as soon as that happens, the leader of the 400 prophets stands up and just whacks Micaiah right in the face. His name is Zedekiah. He comes up, whack! He's like, how dare you say that I'm lying? Who in the world put the truth of God from me and put it into you is what he says exactly. This was common for the day. If you said something that was dishonorable, man, he just smacked him right in the face. And he just comes up and he just whacks him right in the face. Actually, he's more backhanded. They like to do that because maybe it hurt more. But he's like, wha-bam! Right in the Micaiah's face. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. How dare you say that uh, about about me that that I would be a li- that I would be uh, that I would be a liar and and Micaiah looks at Zedekiah and says listen you'll know this is true when you're finding yourself hiding to save your own life that's how you're going to know this is true so Ahab has enough and orders Micaiah to be locked up and fed only bread and water rations until he comes back from the war in peace you'll see Micaiah when I come back in peace you're going to see how wrong you are. And Zedekiah, you don't have to worry. You're not, you're not going to be hiding or, or whatever because this guy doesn't, doesn't give it and doesn't understand what's going on. Micaiah gives one last plea. Listen, if you come back in peace, 
then I guess the Lord has not spoken through me. I guess the Lord has not spoken through me. So, they decide to go into battle, but Ahab is going to make sure Micaiah's prophecy doesn't come true as if he can control that. <laughs> I'm going to control this. I am not going to die in this battle. So he has Jehoshaphat wear royal clothing while he'll wear common soldier clothing, knowing that the Syrians typically have a group of soldiers whose only job is to find the enemy king and kill him. They'll, he'll, uh, the king would take a couple of, of, of soldiers, and usually charioteers, and say, go find the king and just kill him. Because once you kill the king, it, it really... It destroys the army because they're they're just so saddened by it and they they can't fight. Um, so he goes ahead and says, "Okay, Jehoshaphat, why don't why don't you um, why don't you dress up in in the king's clothing?" Now understand, he does know. You know, Jehoshaphat might die. You know that might happen. But guess what? That is a price that Ahab is willing to pay. <laughs> so if Jehoshaphat's going to die, that's that's just going to have to be the way it is. So they go into the battle, and the battle begins. And sure enough, the king of Syria has thirty-two chariot captains go after the king of Israel. Go find the king of Israel, kill him. And so these thirty-two guys start taking their chariots. Uh, they see Jehoshaphat in the royal garb, and they start to go after him. Now, the Bible doesn't explain, but somehow they realize this is not the king of Israel, and they stop pursuing Jehoshaphat. They start going after him. They're like, this isn't the one that we're, we're supposed to be going after. So then the scene switches back to the battle. And in the middle of the battle is Ahab. And he's fighting in the normal garb uh, that any soldier would wear, but he's, he's, he's acting as a charioteer. So he's in his chariot and he's fighting and, and he's, he's doing all that kind of stuff. A Syrian archer is standing outside the battle, and the Bible says he randomly, just randomly, takes an arrow and just shoots it right into the middle of the battlefield. Hope it doesn't hit one of my guys. Hope it hits an Israelite. So he just shoots it back, lets it go, fires. And this random arrow, (laughs) random arrow, goes right into the middle of the battlefield and pierces Ahab, probably on this side, about here, the only spot where he has no armor, between chain link and the breastplate, and it just, whoosh, right there. And, well, that's a pretty bad spot to have an arrow because <laughs> you got your lungs, and if it gets there right, ooh, you're, you're getting into the heart. So he's sitting there, and I don't know if he pulls the arrow out or what, but the Bible says the, the, the arrow hits, and then his blood just starts pouring all over the chariot. Well, Ahab's like, I can't die here. Okay, so, so chariot driver, I'm going to need you to hold me up so that you know, the, the, the army is, is able to fight, so that they don't get weakened and, and sad and all that stuff. So tie me up to the chariot. So it's, how many of you ever saw Weekend at Bernie's? You ever see that movie with the dead guy, and they're trying to make him look like he's alive? That's what he does with Ahab. He's like, here, stay up there. Yeah, he's alive. Keep fighting. It's all good. Don't give up yet. Ahab's alive, even though he's pouring blood out of his side and barely able to stand up. Finally, it gets dark. It's nighttime, and you can't fight anymore. The battle's over, and um, they get back, and, and Ahab dies. Word gets to the army, and just like Micaiah had said, everybody went home. There's no reason to fight. Your king is dead. Go back home, and go back home in peace. They wash out the chariot by a pool apparently frequented by prostitutes to bathe, another sign of disrespect, uh, and the dogs lapped up the blood exactly as was prophesied. Now, 
the part that's different is he's not buried outside of the city. He's actually brought back to Samaria, the capital city at the time, to be properly buried as God had shown Elijah. Ahab didn't know that. None of the people knew that. Only Elijah did that. And then you get this intriguing footnote about Ahab towards the end of 1 Kings 22. Verse 39 says this. Verse 39, now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book, the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers and Azariah, his son, reigned in his place. That book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel, again, that's not our book of Chronicles. That's a different book that has been lost to time. But um, it says that he built an ivory pal- He built an ivory house. He got a bunch of cities. He did a lot of things. In other words, friends, what the Bible is showing that is that on the outside, it was all good. The nation of Israel had a good economy. The nation of Israel was taking over cities. It was going so good for Ahab that he was able to build this house out of ivory, whatever that is, however that looked, I I don't know. But there was wealth, there was prosperity in the land, it was all good. But deep inside, what was happening? They were dying. They had Jezebel pulling the strings on Ahab. Ahab was just sitting there like the pansy that he is, trying to get everything that he wanted and, and those kinds of things and not obeying God at all. And so as you get to the end of this, all of a sudden it's like, well, he looks like such a moron. He looks like such an idiot. But on the outside, nobody really saw it. Nobody really understood it. Nobody got it. And that's a huge lesson for each of us to learn today, right, friends? Friends, you need to make sure that the inside is matching the outside. The inside needs to match the outside, right? The inside needs to match the outside. If you claim to follow God, if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I mean, please, if, if you need to, please take showers before you come to church. I would like you to do that, you know, and make it help us all out in that way. But in all seriousness, if you claim to be Jesus Christ, or not if you claim to be Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. But if you claim to follow, if you claim to follow Jesus Christ, if you claim to follow Jesus Christ, if you claim to be obedient to him, for him to be the savior of your life, your outward actions, your outward appearance should match that. Hopefully it's not a facade. Hopefully as you're coming into church, hopefully as you're going to your job, hopefully as you're doing those things, you're not just saying, okay, I got to put this mask on. No, you should be saying, well, here we go. Let's do this, God. What's happening? And again, if you would just take the disappointments and the difficulties in your life and give them to God, talk to others who follow God instead of going to Jezebel, it makes it a whole lot easier to not put that mask on, to not put that facade on and say, Lord, I'm fully devoted to you. I know that you can do all things and I'm going to follow you. That's how that'll work. So today I want to challenge you with that. We saw it, as it said, man, the people of Israel probably looked at Ahab and didn't know a lot of what was going on. I mean, they saw, I mean, they, they knew about the worship of other gods, but there was such prosperity. There's, there was so much wealth in the land still. They were doing so well that they didn't care, that it, it didn't matter to them. Don't let the outward facade real. It, it, trick you, dupe you. Now, I say that, and I'm like, oh, look at the new things we're doing with the church building. Listen, we're, we're doing well, okay? <laughs> you can check it out the business meeting if you want to. But in each of our own lives, we want to make sure that we're not giving a facade. 
We're giving out our true self, our true identity of who we are, because we have Christ living in us, and that's who's coming out. We are a reflection of God's glory, and we can continue to reflect that if we would just stay in his light. Amen? Why don't you stand with me today? That wasn't too bad. It was a little longer message. Sorry about that. Thank you. I'll pay you afterwards, Noel. <laughs> Just kidding. In all seriousness, though, there's, it's pretty crazy to see what happened at the end of Ahab's life. But if you think that's crazy, just wait until we get into 2 Kings and you start seeing the powerful things that God does through Elisha as he takes the mantle from Elijah. You see, I, I like how God has set that up. Look at all these foolish acts of King Ahab, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. You just wait till you see these powerful acts of Elisha. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be absolutely powerful. But today I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to allow your true self to be on the outside as it is on the inside. And hopefully that true self is a follower of God. Let's go after the Lord. Father, I just pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, to move in the lives of each individual that's standing here, for each individual that's that's watching this from wherever they might be, Lord God. Father, I pray, Lord, that their relationship with you is at the forefront of their mind, Lord God, that they would know that as long as they follow you, you have their good in mind, Lord God. You have their uh, spiritual prosperity in mind, Lord God, that you have a plan for them, that you have a design for them, Lord God, and that they will hold on to you, Father. Let us not be distracted by the Jezebels that are out there, Lord God. Let us not be distracted by our own selfish desires, Lord God. Let us not be distracted by what the world thinks success is, Lord God, that what the world might want to give us, Lord, but may we concentrate, Father, on what you have for us, on the plans that you have, on the design that you have, Father. May we take that, Lord, may we make it a part of us, and as it comes out of us, Lord God, may we feel confident and know that we're not putting a facade on, that we're not just trying to, to fake it until we make it, Lord God. Lord, help us to stay strong in you, Lord God. Help us to learn from these, these unfortunate events that Ahab put himself in, Lord God. Help us to be solely f- devoted to you, Lord God, understanding your plan and your design, Lord God. Speak to people's hearts today. Draw us closer to you, Lord God. Draw us closer to you, Father. Take some time, friends, today, and continue to go after the Lord. Continue to seek after his face. Praise you.